How about we just cut to the chase this morning? Everybody good with that? Make this a quick one. All right. We'll start this off real simple, and then we'll talk about why this is true. Here's what you need to know this morning is that I can trust that God is orchestrating my life and his plan. That's what you need to know this morning. I can trust that God is at work. He's orchestrating things happening in my life. At the same time, he's organizing and orchestrating his grand plan for all of creation. And God puts the two things together. He gives us opportunity and invitation to be a part of his plan. And when we choose to become a part of his plan and the things that he is doing, then we begin to experience life in a way that cannot be done on our own, in a way that can only happen when we're choosing to follow God. So I can trust that God is orchestrating my life in his plan. And if God is working, and you need to know this, if God is working, <clears throat> I'm fighting off an upper respiratory infection. So if I cough a lot today, just go, amen, he's praying. Okay, all right. If God is working and leading in my life and in my situation, then I can trust that God's at work in other areas that I can't even see, accomplishing his plan and doing what he knows is best. Because the best life happens, the absolute best life happens when we obey God. That's when we get the best life. God's plan is accomplished through obedient people. Think about that. God's plan is accomplished through obedient people. You know, the, the stories that we see in Scripture, and, and they, they teach us this. We see many stories in Scripture where God is leading and people are following. We see some stories in Scripture where God gives an invitation and people choose not to follow. So we do see both of this in Scripture. But you need to understand this. Maybe, you're, maybe you've been a Christian for as long as you can remember. You gave your life to Christ when you were young. Maybe it's something that you're thinking about, struggling with, or trying to figure out what it, what it really means to be a Christian. Well, I just want to say this this morning. The Christian faith, it, those who profess to be a Christian, the Christian faith is one of action. Okay? It's not only about belief. You see, whatever we believe should drive our actions, right? But the Christian faith is a, is a faith of action. If you want to have the blessing of God on your life, if you want to know what it is to walk with Christ, then not only must you believe what Jesus says, not only must you believe what God's word says, you have to do what Jesus leads you to do and what Jesus teaches you to do. So just understand it this way. Being around other believers that doesn't cut it, right? I mean, I can be around great athletes and it still doesn't happen. You know what I mean? I can be around very intelligent people and it still doesn't happen. You know what I mean? It's not about who you're around. It's about what you actually do. And so being around other believers won't cut it. Being a good person doesn't cut it. It doesn't cut it. It's about what you do and who you're following. So I want us to look at a person named Cornelius. And right at that point where I say just being a good person doesn't cut it. It's in Acts chapter 10. And you may not understand this, but for those all throughout the world that are not Jewish, not of that descent, 
This is an incredibly important passage of Scripture because it's really at this point in time that we begin to see all out that God's loving plan of salvation is now being spread out just beyond those Israelites, just beyond that church that was started in Jerusalem. We see that God begins to share this everywhere. We'd seen bits and pieces of it, but man, right here it just really begins to come to fruition. Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 1, it says this, There was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment. Now look at this, pay attention. Verse 2, he was a devout man. Devout man. And he feared God along with his whole household. He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. So here, here we have this, this man who's, who's a good person. He's a devout man. He's a God-fearing man. But yet what's about to happen is going to take those things about this good person and actually bring to him and to all of his household and to those around and out to all the Gentiles salvation. It says in verse 3, about 3 in the afternoon, he distinctly saw a vision of an angel of God who came in and said to him, Cornelius. Staring at him in awe, he said, what is it, Lord? The angel told him, your prayers and your acts of charity have ascended as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and call for Simon, who's also named Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier who was one of those who attended him. After explaining everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So you see what's going on. You have a devout man. He's here in this one part of the world, and he's following God. And God comes to him in a vision and says, I've got something that I need you to do. Now, I, 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 I kind of chuckle at this every once in a while. Because I think at times a lot of us would say, man, I wish God would come to me in a vision and share something with me. And, and we think, man, that would be great if God were to speak that directly. And then at the same time, I think if God were to come to us that directly in a vision, we'd go, I'm not sure that that was God. You know what I mean? So we like to say these things all the time that we would love for God to just be real clear <clears throat> about what he's doing. But I guarantee it, sometimes when God's very clear about what he's doing, we still have this moment where we go, I'm not so sure that that was God. So here you have this, this man named Cornelius in one part of the world, and he's following God, and he's doing what he knows how to do. And this angel comes to him and says, look, I need you to send for Peter. Well, let's look at what's happening on the other side of the world. Because again, remember that I can trust God is, a, is orchestrating my life and his plan. And here we see this incredible story that not only is God doing something over here, he's doing something with Peter as well because God wants to bring these things together. I'm telling you, I, I can't I don't feel like I'm worthy of communicating this in a good manner this morning. You just need to see the bigness of this is that when God's at work and he's working with people over here that don't even know that things are happening over here and he's working over here with people that don't even know that things are happening over here, he is orchestrating this grand plan and he's looking for people who are willing to be obedient and to follow him and see incredible things happen. So now we pick it up with Peter. In verse 9 it says, The next day as they were traveling and nearing the city... Peter went up to pray on the roof about noon. 
he became hungry and wanted to eat. But while they were preparing something, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners to the earth. In it were all the four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and the birds of the sky. And a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. (laughs) No, Lord. No, Peter said, for I've never eaten anything impure or ritually unclean. What Peter's saying here is, no, 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 Lord. There are these rules that you establish, and I have not broken these things. I am following this, Lord. I am not going to do it. And again, the second time, the voice said to him, what God has made clean, do not call impure. This happened three times. And suddenly the object was taken up into heaven. You know why I love Peter? I mean, it always seems to take him three times to get something, doesn't it? It's just like, Peter, come on, you don't get this the first time. No, let's do this. Okay, Peter, it's uh, finally. And that just makes me feel a little bit good because sometimes I don't get it off the first try either. But this is what's happening. Here's the significance of what's going on. Cornelius is a Gentile. Jews and Gentiles don't mix. The Jews at this point in time are beginning to see that God's doing something big, but they don't really know what it is yet. The church is just following, and as they've been scattered since the the death of Stephen, they've been preaching this gospel wherever they've gone. And the first place they went was to Samaria. Well, they were kind of half Jews, so we we were okay with this. And then they start spreading out to these other places, but now God's beginning to do something. You see, Last week, we kind of ended the story of, of Peter and where he was staying in the house of Simon the Tanner, which we may have m- not really thought that that was a big deal, but Simon's a tanner, which means he deals with dead animals. And Jews don't hang around dead animals. It makes them ceremonially unclean. And so you see this little thing in Scripture, and you go, well, that's kind of unique because Peter, this devout God-fearing Jewish man is now he's staying in this house where where there's dead animals around. There's something that's stirring here. And then now he has this vision. (coughs) Pardon me for coughing. Now he has this vision where the sheet's coming down, and God's telling him, I need you to just get up, kill, and eat. You're you're hungry. Just get up, kill, and eat. And Peter's going, no, no, no. I'm not going to do this, and I love this because I'll I'll translate it in today's world. God, I can't do that because we've never done it that way. Amen? Amen. God, we can't do that because we've always done it like this. And you're telling me to do it like this. And, and here's something that's very interesting. Peter, in his desire to follow God, is saying, God, I can't do this because as I follow you, you, you don't want me to do this. And God goes, Peter, I told you to do it. Now, Let's just say something. Has God ever taught you something where you're following him for one way and then God goes, okay, now I need you to do this a different way? God, I'm real comfortable with doing things this way. But now you're asking me to do something different. We've never done it that way. I don't understand this. This is what's going on with Peter. I don't think, again, that being a Gentile and being 2,000 years removed from this, that I can actually express the intense struggle that is probably going on in the heart and the mind of Peter at this point in time. Because everything and every fiber of the Peter that we now know by the time Acts 10 rolls around is wanting to give his all, his everything to following his Lord and Savior. And he's struggling with how to do that. 
And God is trying to open up some doors and do some new things. But here's what Peter can't see, is that God is orchestrating things over here. And God is orchestrating things over here. And he's simply looking for the person that's going to say, I'll be obedient to follow. You don't have to give me all the answers up front. I'll just do what you need me to do right now. And we'll see where this leads. That's a fun way to follow Jesus. Can I just tell you that? God, I'll just, I'll just follow you wherever you lead. And, and, and we'll see where this turns out. I've, uh, I told you I was, and I actually did, and that's probably why I'm fighting off this respiratory infection. I said I was going to start running again, dadgum, and I started running again this week. And I had no earthly idea that there were that many hills in my neighborhood. I just wanted to share this with you. Because as I'm running, you're going some ways, and you're going, this is easy. And then you turn around to go the other way, you go, oh, that's why that was easy. So I've learned the best way already. It's taken me one week. Here's the best way that you run up a really, really tall hill. You just look down and you take this foot and you put it there. And then you take this foot and you put it in front of that one. And you take this one and you put it in front of that one. And you just focus on what you're doing one step at a time. And you don't focus necessarily on the big picture all the time. And all of a sudden, you look up and you're like, whoop, I'm at the top of the hill. That's how it works. There's really no other way to do it. I mean, I could sit at the bottom of the hill and cry all day long. I could get out the phone and go, um, Julie, I made it to the hill, but could you come get me right now? Because I really, I don't want to do this. But sometimes God puts us in places and we're going, I don't understand how this is ever going to happen. How are we going to accomplish this? There's no way that we can do this. And God goes, will you just put that one foot in front? Yeah, there you go. Good job. Now, will you take the next one? Oh, okay, good. Now, let's just keep walking one step at a time and let's follow and let's see what's going on. You see, because I know that some of you are saying this morning that, you know, Pastor, I really, I, I really want to follow Jesus. I really do, but, and then you're going to have to fill in that blank. Because this is what Peter was doing. God, I mean, you're lowering this sheet. You're telling me to get up, and I, I would never do something like that. And some of us have these things in our hearts and in our lives where we say, I really want to follow Jesus, but... And there's this thing that stands in our way. Sometimes it's self-inflicted. Sometimes it's just a mountain that looks too hard to climb. And God is just encouraging us, take that next step. You see, whenever we face that crossroads in life, it's truly, it's a mix of two things. You know that, right? It's a mix of fear and a mix of control. It's a mix of fear because we're, we're just scared that, God, if I really give my all to you and I, I lay this all out and I follow you, well, what's going to happen? Things might change. Okay, honestly, we want change as long as it's happening in other people's lives, right? I mean, it, it's just the truth. I don't, you don't say that to be funny, and it's not just some saying, but you really, the more you think about it, is that people will look at life, they look at situations that are happening, they see the world that's going on, and they understand deep in their heart that, man, some things need to change about this, but for some reason, there's something inside of us that says, now, I need everything to change, but I need it to do like I want it to do. And so it's hard for us to see where all these pieces are going to fit together. And so sometimes it's just this fear of, well, how is this all going to work? And I don't know how this, and it may inconvenience me. It may make it hard on me. And so there's this fear. And there's the other side that's control. It's this mix of fear and control. Well, and, and we say this, well, God, I'll follow you, but can you tell me where this is leading? God, I'll follow you, but can you give me all the answers up front? God, I'll follow you, but can you guarantee me, can you put it in writing that this is all going to work out 
like I think it should work out. And that's not necessarily how it's going. And that's this point right here in Acts chapter 10 where things are beginning to stir together. And this is what I love. Everybody's uncomfortable. The Gentiles are uncomfortable. The Jews are uncomfortable. It's just an uncomfortable time because it's, it's heading in a, in a place where it's never gone before. And so finally, Peter gives in and he says, okay, God, I'll follow you. And so he gets up to go. And I, I want to read this. It's going to take us just a minute. But again, I think this chapter is so important. We're going to pick it up again in Acts 10, verse 17. It's not going to be on the screen. If you have your Bible or iPad or iPhone or whatever you can Follow along, or you can trust that I'm reading the correct word. Acts chapter 10, verse 17. It says, while Peter was deeply perplexed about what the vision he had seen might mean. Now, don't, don't miss that. While Peter is still going, what in the world is going on? While Peter is still deeply perplexed about what the vision he had seen might mean. Right away, the men who had been sent by Cornelius... Having asked directions to Simon's house, stood at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was also named Peter, was lodging there. While Peter was thinking about this vision, the Spirit told him, Three men are here looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them with no doubts at all, because I have sent them. Why? Would the Spirit of God speak that directly to Peter? Because what did we just see was he was wrestling with in the verses leading up to that statement. He's still thinking, what am I supposed to do? What does this vision mean? How am I supposed to go and follow? Guys, sometimes God uproots us from where we are. And he wants us to go and follow him to some place. And, and it's this sheer fear of things are never going to be the same. I'm never going to have the same friends. I'm never going to do the same things. I'm never going to be able to do this. And it's this control of just going, no, I don't want to do that. I just want to stay here. I want to do these things my way. And we miss out on the wonderful, incredible things that God might be doing. Can I tell you something? God's moved me several times in life. I've never wanted to go, but I'm always glad I went. You, ever, you understand that feeling? I mean, I've, I've never been at a place in life where I've told God, just get me out of here. You know, I'm, mm, I don't like it. No, everywhere I've been, I was like, I like this. I like my friends. I like the place. But then sometimes God begins stirring something, and he says, you need, <coughs> you need to go. You see, and we'd like to say, well, God, I'll go, but can you just tell me how all this is going to work out? And he just goes, I love this. He says, Peter, get up, go downstairs, go with them with no doubts at all because I've sent them. Then Peter went downstairs and said to the men, here I am. I'm the one you're looking for. What's the reason you're here? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who has a good reputation with the whole Jewish nation, was divinely directed by a holy angel to call you to his house and to hear a message from you. Peter then invited them in and gave them lodging. The next day, he got up and set out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went with him. The following day, he entered Caesarea. Now, Cornelius was expecting them. And had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet, and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up and said, stand up. I myself am also a man. While talking with him, he went in and found a large gathering of people. <coughs> Peter said to them, and listen to this. You know it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate or visit with a foreigner. But God has shown me that I must not call any person 
impure are unclean. Can we just stop there for just a second? Peter had to be converted from his own prejudices and traditions before God could use him in a certain way. Church, we got to wake up. And we need to be converted from some of the prejudices and some of the ways that we look at and we treat people in our culture and in our world today if we're ever going to be able to be a light to them. It's just the truth. Sometimes we look at people who've chosen odd lifestyles or who've done different things, and, and instead of saying, how can I be a light to them, we just want to distance ourselves from them. And God needs to begin to work in our heart to be a light and to be able to stand in the midst of them and share the message of hope and the message of God's love and pray that they would be converted and they would be gloriously saved and that they would choose to follow Christ. You see, let's go back to what I said earlier. We love to get around and pray, God, I wish you would work in the lives of these people. But the Christian faith is one of obedience. And God works through obedient people. And so God wants to send each and every one of us out as a missionary. Whether it's a missionary to your school campus, whether it's a missionary to your family, or whether it's a missionary to go around the world and serve him, God is calling us to go and to follow him. And God is orchestrating something in your life. And you can trust that as God is orchestrating something in your life, he is also in the place that he has prepared for you, orchestrating things so that you can see his plan come together. And as exciting as that sounds for all of us, the only thing keeping us from taking that step of faith at times is fear, fear of the unknown, fear of change, fear of not getting things the way that they used to be, or control. Control being, well, I don't know how it's all going to work out or how this detail is going to come together or how this detail is going to come together. And so we stay frozen at times because we're not willing to just step out on faith and say, okay, God, I'm going to go. Peter was honest when he showed up. I mean, he, doesn't, he didn't pull any punches. He goes, look, you realize I'm standing in a room full of people that Jews, you know, we don't really stand in a room full of, but God showed me that I'm supposed to be here. Wouldn't you say that there are places that Christians aren't very welcome today, but God's still calling us to go stand in those places and love on those people? And this is what we see. And had Peter never done this, it's very well possible that we wouldn't be here today. I mean, I'm sure God would have seen his greater will come out in some other way, but this is how it, this is how it panned out. So he says... God has shown me that I must not call any person impure or unclean. That's why I came without any objection when I was sent for. So may I ask, this is what I love. So may I ask why you sent for me? Don't miss that. Peter shows up at the house and stands there and goes, all right, I got this far. This is what I know I'm supposed to do. Why am I here? That's exciting faith. And we love it for Peter, don't we? But sometimes for us, we go, I don't know that I'm into that. But, man, this is just so exciting. Peter's just go, all right, I'm here. This is as far as I knew to go. If you ever go on a mission trip, don't ask what you're doing on the mission trip. Here's the answer to what you're doing on a mission trip. Whatever needs to be done at the point of time that you're there, that's what you're doing on a mission trip. Can I just tell you that? Can't tell you how many mission trips I've planned for, and we're going to do this and this and this, and we show up and they go, yeah, I don't need to do that anymore. We've got this thing that's happening over here. I need to do that. Amen. Let's just do that. And this is where Peter is. Okay, so Cornelius replied, I need to hurry up. Cornelius replied, 
Four days ago at this hour, at three in the afternoon, I was praying in my house. Just then, a man in dazzling clothing stood before me and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your acts of charity have been remembered in God's sight. Therefore, send someone to Joppa and invite Simon here, who's also named Peter. He is lodging in Simon the Tanner's house by the sea. So immediately, I sent for you, and it was good of you to come. So now, we're all in the presence of God to hear everything that you've been commanded by the Lord. So what Cornelius says is, well, Peter, you're here because God told us that you're going to come. I'm going to share this story I got to share with the mission team. I got to hear um, at a couple of weeks ago, I got to go to the, the Southern Baptist Convention, and I, I think I've shared this before. The International Mission Board does a commissioning service during the convention. They sent out 79 new missionaries to go all over the world. And I don't want to butcher the story, but um, David Platt, who's the head of the International Mission Board, was sharing a story about how God orchestrates some of these things sometimes. And if you think that this is just a story for back then, let me tell you something that happened just in this last year. He said there was a missionary who had some people who were working with him uh, from the local area in which they were, and they were working together, and one of the locals was about to be heading home, but it was, there was a storm coming, and as the story goes, he says, the, the local said to the missionary, well, do you have some clothes that I can borrow because you know, I'm on a motorbike, and I'm heading, and there's about to be a storm, and I don't want to get my clothes all messed up, so... The missionary reaches into the bag. All he's got, he goes, okay, here. And he hands him a, a, just a plain white shirt to wear. So he's just got this plain white shirt on. And he begins his trek <coughs> back to his house. The storm starts approaching, and he decides, well, I'm going to pull over here. I'm going to wait out the storm a little bit. So he pulls over to the side, and he's under this, this uh, overpass area. And there's a house right close to it. And, and as is custom in that area, the person that is in the house comes out and says, hey, the storm's coming. You, you come in and be with us for, while the storm passes. So the guy's like, okay. Well, and since he's working with this missionary, he thinks, well, I'm here. I'm, I might as well share the gospel. And this is in a country that's a Muslim country. And so he's sitting with this Muslim family around the table, and he shares the gospel and he asked, well, would you like to accept this? And, and the man says, yes, we'd like to accept that message. And so the missionary man goes, well, hold on, hold on a minute. That was a little too easy. You ever had one of those moments too? God does something and you go, oh, that was a little too easy. And so he said, I, I just have to ask, do you really understand the decision that you're making? This Muslim man sits across the table and guess what you don't understand is that for about a week I've been having dreams. And in these dreams, the person has told me that the man in white is coming to share with you the way of salvation. And last night I had a dream, and he said you'd be here today. So I know that I'm supposed to accept this message. Is that not incredible? God still works in these ways today. We don't see it sometimes because we have fear of moving forward, or we have control, or we want to do things, or we're lost in the way that we've always done things. And I love what Peter said. <laughs> Peter's just like, I'm here. I got this far. Now what? That's when life and faith gets exciting. And so I want to just tell you, Peter, verse 34 says this. Let me read this and I'll share with you that. Peter began to speak. He said, now I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism. But in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. He sent the message to the Israelites proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. 
You know the events that took place throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism of John. How anointed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil, because God was with him. We ourselves are witnesses of everything he did in both the Judean country and in Jerusalem, yet they killed him by hanging him on a tree. And God raised up this man on the third day and caused him to be seen, not by all the people, but by us whom God has appointed as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he's the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him. Through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Now, this is what I love. Verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers, that means the Jewish believers, who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on even the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and declaring the greatness of God. You see what happens is Peter, even while he's speaking, is probably still kind of wondering like we would be, am I doing exactly what God wants me to do? So God answers it this way. He says, the same thing that I poured out on you at Pentecost that started this whole thing, I'm just going to pour it out in front of you again so that you can see that this is by my power and by my word and by my will that these things are happening and are going out. So here's, what, here's, here's the lesson that we need to learn again this morning. Some things in life can only be seen clearly in hindsight, right? Some things in life can only be seen clearly in hindsight. And if we're waiting for God to cross every T and dot every I before we're willing to take a step to follow him, then we're never going to see God move in our life the way that he moves in the book of Acts. Because these people in the book of Acts are saying, okay, God, I understand it this far, so I'll take this step and I'll follow you. So just think, if Peter had stuck to his traditions instead of following God. You know, even as a follower of Jesus, like we said, Peter had to have some heart change to obey. He had to give up control. He had to give up some prejudices. He had to give up some past ways of thinking about things, and he had to trust God. So what we need to come to the place this morning to ask ourselves is, are, are there areas in my life, or are there people, or are there things that I just have some struggles with that God needs to convert my heart so that I can follow him? Are there some things that just need to change inside of me so that I can live a life of obedience? Because the bottom line question for each and every one of us today is simply this, will I follow him? Will I follow him? That, that's your question. That's my question. Whatever God is orchestrating in your life. You can trust that he's orchestrating somewhere else as well. And if you will follow him and obey, you will see these things come together in a way that is just amazing. And we'll see God working in our lives today just like we see him working in the book of Acts. And it will be an exciting and a bold and an incredible thing.